good morning. Good to see you all here this morning. A couple of quick announcements before we dive into the message. First, uh, we have some guests with us. Maybe uh, you saw them, maybe you didn't, uh, but Jonathan and Sydney Parrott uh, are visiting with us today. They've been hanging out with us this weekend with the leadership team, um, kind of interview process of uh, finding someone to fill our vacant uh, student minister role. So if you see somebody you don't know, be nice to them, okay? Please smile, say hello, um, and if you if it's not the right people, still be nice to them. <laughs> still, still say hello. We just covet your prayers as we go through this process. And um, yeah, just keep praying for us, please, as we uh, get working on a decision on this. Uh, the other thing that I want to make sure that we keep in front of us is men, we're getting together on April 30th and May 1st up at the camp. We're going to do uh, work day, but we're going to get together on Friday night. Uh, we're going to grill meat. We're going to grunt. We're going to be men. We're going to hang out. And then in the morning, we're going to get up, have a good breakfast, and get to work. Uh, we would love for you to join us in that. No cost to you, but we need you to register so we know uh, how many are coming. So you can register. It's at the top of the sermon notes if you got that sheet. But if you didn't, it's at troycc.org slash workday. We would love for you to join us. Um, and actually, next week in room 206, we're going to just have, after each service, we're going to just have a meeting real quick to kind of fill you in on what our projects are, what sort of tools we'll need, et cetera, et cetera. So please um, think about joining us in that. Today, we are going to continue the series, A Word to the Nuns. Chris laid it out last week that nuns are people who would check the no religious affiliation box if given that on a survey. And today, we're going to continue talking um, not just about that group, uh, we're going to talk about who they are, and we're going to talk about maybe even who we are, because um, I want to start with two definitions. We're going to start with a skeptic, and we're going to start with an agnostic. First, a skeptic is a person inclined to question or doubt accepted opinions. Skeptic is a person inclined to doubt or accept, or excuse me, question or doubt accepted opinions. An agnostic is a person who claims neither faith nor disbelief in God. person that neither claims nor, uh, excuse me, who claims neither faith nor disbelief in God. So a skeptic asks questions, and the agnostic goes, I don't know. I don't know. Now, have you ever been skeptical in your life? Probably. I know we're all skeptical of, at minimum of what I'm about to tell you. There's these commercials that show up on TV. They usually have this red logo that says, as seen on TV. And they sell all of these wild products that make wild claims that just never work. For instance, um, there's this one called the Shake Weight. <laughs> Do any of you remember the Shake Weight? Looks like a dumbbell and you like pick, put your hands and you like do a move like this or like this or and I was going to show you a picture, but almost all of them, when I Googled them, had some dude who looked like he was on steroids going, like, without his shirt on. So I was like, well, let's not put a half-naked man on the screen today. Um, but he would get on there. They would have the, they'd be like, oh, this is such a good workout. And you know that these people do workouts that are much more crazy, hardcore than just shaking something, Right. But they're like, oh, I feel the burn, right? Like that one guy is just like his, his biceps are just going, ah, I'm on fire. I'm skeptical. By your laughter, so are you. 
Other one that comes to mind is this hose. That when you use it, it extends to a normal hose. And then when you turn it off, it shrinks back up and coils nice and neat. Right? I'm guilty of buying this one. <laughs> they got me. <laughs> my skepticism did not last very long. I bought it at Walmart, so I have a little more honor in my purchase. But I didn't call the number because I would have had two that didn't work. But when I, we used it a couple times, and then all of a sudden, it decided to water wherever it wanted. Not out the nozzle. It was just like it wasn't really a hose anymore, and it was just netting with water coming through it like a scrunchie. It was just not, not great. We've also been skeptical, I'm sure, of the diet pills that we've seen on TV, right? Got these people who we know are putting real work into the gym, but all they're doing is taking this one little pill and like, oh, look, the weight just fell off, right? We've all been skeptical in our lives. Have we ever been agnostic? Have we, have we ever just not known? I mean, I don't know if aliens are real. I don't know if Elvis is actually dead. <laughs> Haven't seen his body, so I don't know. <laughs> I, I'm trying to say it with a straight face. I, I think he's dead. Just so we're clear, I think Elvis is dead. I don't need, a, I don't need the email later it's going through. He died like in 19 whatever year it was. Um, but I think we all have had moments where we just don't know. And the reason I point these out is as we talk about people who are agnostic or skeptics, I want us to sort of have in our minds what that position feels like. Because for some of us, we have grown up in the church all of our lives, and we have given our lives to Jesus, and we can't understand how anybody could question or be skeptical, skeptical of God. We can't understand how somebody couldn't know, because we know in our hearts, we've seen God show himself faithful in our lives, but I need us to be able to empathize with that position today. Because as we talk about this people group, uh, or this category, it's, it's ever growing. And you have people in your life who think this way about God. Actually, statistics show that there's someone or many in this room who think that way. And so I want to just start at the very beginning. At the very beginning, this is what I need you to hear me say, and I'm saying it at the beginning so you don't miss it, and I promise I will spoil this because I'm going to say it at the end too. God welcomes your skepticism, your doubts, and your questions. He welcomes them. Whether you've given your life to Jesus and all of a sudden something doesn't make sense, whether you're just checking him out, whether you're seeing what is here, your questions, your skepticism, your doubts, they're welcomed by him. He's big enough to handle them. You know, when I was younger, that wasn't the case. Not that God, excuse me. When I was younger... When I asked questions, I was told that wasn't the case. I can remember being in Sunday school and asking a question, and my Sunday school teacher, God rest her soul, was just like, 
yeah, we don't ask those kind of questions. And I said, why not? <laughs> we don't ask those either. <laughs> but there was a tone in her voice that told me it was not okay to ask questions. It was not okay for me to doubt. Some reason I had to know everything and have it all figured out. Our God is bigger than that. He can handle our skepticism, our questions, and our doubt. And so I want to start there, and we're going to end there, and that's the spoiler, so if you zone out, at least you heard it. But we're going to look at three different accounts in Scripture where God is big enough to handle skepticism, questions, and doubt. So turn with me to Judges 6. We're going to go Old Testament for a few minutes. The book of Judges, if you don't know, is uh, a collection of the history of Israel during a time where they would be oppressed by another people. They would almost get in wars with them. They would cry, Israel would cry out to God, say, God, save us, deliver us. God would raise up a judge they would, who would deliver them. They would go, thanks, God, and then they would go right back to their sin. So God would let the next nation come and oppress them again. They would cry out again. God would raise up a judge. They would say, thanks, God, and they'd go back to their sin. And it was just over and over and over cycle. Samson if you're familiar with him, as one of these judges. But today we're going to look at, at Gideon. Gideon is a man who God raises up to save Israel. However, Gideon's a man with some questions. And so in Judges 6, uh, we're going to just start in verse 11, because here's what happens right before this, uh, because there's just a lot of text here, so I'm going to do some paraphrasing here. Right before this, the Midianites were oppressing God's people. So much so that they're hiding in, in, in the mountains, they're hiding in uh, caves, and they try to plant crops, but the Midianites come and destroy them, and so they run back, and so they cry out to God, and God says, I've told you to listen to me, and this wouldn't happen, but I will raise someone up, and we will save you. So verse 11 says, The angel of the Lord came and sat down under uh, the oak in Ophrah, that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, fun words, uh, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Verse 13. But Sir Gideon replied, If the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our fathers told us about when they said, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and put us in the hand of Midian. God sends an angel to Gideon and says, Great warrior, we need your, we're, we're going to use you. And he says, Wait a second. Like, where's God been? My great-great-grandfather tells me the stories of Egypt, but I don't see anything remotely close to that. Where's he been? He says, but now the Lord has abandoned us, and we're into the hand of Midian. Verse 14, the Lord turned to him and said, go in, strength, uh, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. And I am I not sending you? 
Verse 15, but Lord, Gideon asked, how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you, and you will strike down all the Midianites together. Verse 17, Gideon replied, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. Please do not go away until I come back and bring my offering and set it before you. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. God sends an angel to Gideon to say, we need you. And he says, where have you been? And God says, I'm going with you. We're going to do this. He says, okay, I need a sign first because I'm not really sure it's you. I don't know that it's you. So can you give me a sign? And he said, just wait here. I'm going to go get some stuff, and I'm going to come back. And what does God do? God says, okay, I'll wait. He doesn't look at Gideon and say, we don't ask those questions around here. He didn't look at Gideon and say, you're supposed to have this all figured out. He said, okay, I'll wait here. And so to speed up some of our reading today, Gideon goes, he makes some some breadish dough stuff and it gets a goat and he comes back and he presents it as an offering and the angel touches this rock and he cooks the food on the rock. Kind of hibachi style, I guess. That would be a sign, right? Anybody's got a rock in our backyard we can cook on that's not called a grill, right? That'd be a sign. And God shows him that he's with him. He shows him who he is. And Gideon realized, I've seen, this is what he says in, uh, in verse 20, at the end of verse 22, he says, Ah, sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. He says, I got some questions and I need to ask him. And God says, bring them. You need a sign? Okay. So from there, God sends Gideon out to destroy some of the, the idols that had been set up uh, by the people. And one thing kind of leads to another, and they're getting ready for war because the, the enemies are joining forces, and Gideon's trying to get people together to defend Israel. And we find ourselves in verse 36 at this moment where God has said, you're going to do this. And Gideon goes in verse 36, he says to God, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have promised, look, I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand, as you said. And that is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. So Gideon's already gotten a sign. He's already asked his questions, but yet he's still still got doubt. He's still skeptical of God. So what's he do? He makes the challenge a little bit more elaborate, right? Puts his fleece down and says, I want the dew only to be on this fleece, everything else to be dry. God comes through, because God could do that. Then... In verse 39, then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. (laughs) 
He's lucky I'm not God. I would have been angry at this point. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. This time make the fleece dry and the ground covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry and all the ground was covered with dew. God, despite proving himself, still answers Gideon's questions. He still does. And this is one of the million different ways that God is better than me. Because if I'm God, you got one. I did it. Why are you asking me again? Like, does Gideon know who he's talking to? The creator of the universe, the creator of Gideon, and Gideon is just going, hey, I don't know who you are. Can you prove that to me? Okay, cool. Now, can you prove that you're actually going to keep your word? Like, if our kids talk to us <laughs> like that, right? Time out chair, here you come. But God doesn't do that. God goes, okay. Hibachi rock, done. Fleece, wet, ground, dry, done. Ground wet, fleece, dry, done. We ready? We good? Like, let's go. Gideon's doubts, or Gideon's doubt is the root of these requests, and that doesn't even phase God. Doesn't even phase him. He's asking these questions because he doesn't know if he can trust God. And God's like, okay, no big deal. Gideon is skeptical, and yet God still uses him. And I need to make a, a, an aside here. Like, this is not a prescriptive sort of thing. And so when I say that, what I mean is we can't probably replicate what Gideon did, and God's going to go, yeah, I'll do that for you too. God can do whatever he wants. And so he would probably love for, that, for you to ask and him to prove that just to make fun of me. But the chances of that are not very high. However, God does answer prayers. God is faithful. God does talk back to us. It may not be in the same miracle format that we see in this account, but he's still there. It doesn't make him any less real. It doesn't mean that he answers any less. So don't go home and try this, is what I'm saying because you might just be disappointed, because it's not prescriptive. we got to watch how God handles someone's doubt and someone's questions. This isn't the only place, though, if you will. Turn with me to John, uh, chapter 1. We get to see Jesus handle skepticism, handle doubt. John, chapter 1, verse 43, um, as you're turning there, just the setup, Jesus has called his first disciples. They are... Uh, he calls uh, Andrew and Peter, and they begin to follow him. And then there's this account in John 1, of the calling of Philip and Nathaniel. And this is what it says. It says, the next day Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to them, said to him, finding, excuse me, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathaniel and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. 
Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here is a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. How do you know me, Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Now let's unpack this for a moment. Philip comes to Nathanael and says, we found him. Moses talked about this Messiah, and guess what? He's from Nazareth. His name is Jesus. And Nathanael goes, Nazareth? Like, what good comes from that place? Now, that means nothing to us. Nazareth, Bethlehem, Jerusalem, whatever. Like, they're just Bible names, right? Generally speaking. The closest thing that I could find, and this will offend some, but everybody will get what I mean, so to those I offend, I apologize. This is the same thing as saying that the Savior came from that state up north. Now you're tracking with me. Now you're tracking with me. We don't know what was wrong with Nazareth. It might have just been a little podunk town in comparison to Bethsaida, where they're from. Maybe they don't have good morals in that place. Maybe there's all sorts of fraternizing and womanizing and drinking. We don't know what, what caused Nathaniel to respond this way, but we know that he 100% judges and is skeptical of Jesus because of the town of his birth. How can the Messiah come from that place? And that's literally the question that he's asking. And as he comes closer because he's been called, Jesus says, there's no truer Israelite. He knows who he is. There's nothing false in him, Jesus says. Now Nathaniel's going, okay, who is this guy? Like, how do you know anything about me? And Jesus says, I saw you under the fig tree before you were called. Now, for many, many years, i.e. up until this week, when I read this passage, under the fig tree made me go, there must have been a fig tree way over there. Nathaniel must have been hanging out, sitting there, and Jesus could see him, and because he's Jesus, he's got 20-20 times 20-20 vision, and he can see him, right? And as he comes, Jesus can use that piece of knowledge. Though I learned this week that under the fig tree is a term that rabbinic literature, the rabbi's literature, that they would use. It's a term that they would use for studying and meditating on the law. So like some of, your, some of our Bible studies could be under the fig tree. And so he knows Nathaniel is a man of the word. He knows that there's only truth in him. He knows these things about him, and he says that to him. And when he says that, Nathaniel says, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. What we have, what, what's interesting here, though, uh, that's all interesting, but to the point of what we're talking about today, Jesus makes time for an honest skeptic. In the midst of calling his disciples, you would think you would call the people who are, who are ready to go, right? Like Peter, Andrew, James, John, all those guys, we hear those stories, they just drop everything and they go. And then he comes 
to Nathaniel, and Nathaniel's like, ah, I don't know about this guy. If I'm Jesus, I just go, okay, cool, and I just keep walking, because I want the guys who are in. But no, Jesus stops, and he makes time for this honest question, even if it felt a little underhanded. You know, often skepticism comes from us searching for the truth, right? I had to buy that hose to know that it didn't work. Because that commercial told me it worked. But I was skeptical. And so the truth is they just got my money. Like, that's the truth of that whole situation. But typically, when, we, when we're skeptical of things, we want to know what is the truth. And the beauty is, is that Jesus is the truth. I mean, Jesus says this in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So if someone's seeking the truth, they're going to find it in Jesus. They're skeptical. They're going to find that truth in Jesus. Now, perhaps one of the uh, most noted, well-known uh, stories and accounts of doubt is what we're going to look at now. If you'll turn towards the end of John, chapter 20, I want us to look at how the disciples handled this because they're not immune to this as well. So in, in John chapter 20, as you're turning there, we, we find that Jesus has been crucified. They found the empty tomb. And now the disciples are trying to figure out what to do next. And so in John chapter 20, verse 19, we find the disciples here doing this. It says, On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together with the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. The disciples get to see this amazing thing. Like, can we just soak that in for a second? Let's not run past this. They're in a room with a locked door, and Jesus just shows up. And he says, here, look at my hands. Look at my side. It's me. I'm back to life. Like, just soak that in for a second. I don't want to run past that. It's amazing. The other piece I don't want to run past is, why are the disciples hiding in a room? They're afraid. Thank you, Pam. They're afraid. They're doubting, right? If what Jesus had said about him coming back to life was going to happen, we should have seen it by now. And guess what? They killed Jesus, so we're not going to let them kill us. And so they're hiding with a locked door between them and the people outside that may want to get them. If they had no doubt, if they had no skepticism, if they had no fear, then that door would not have been locked and they would do exactly what they do once they realize Jesus is back alive, which is go and tell the world and change it, right? But in this moment, even the disciples had their moments of doubt. Because if they didn't, they would have just been outside. Like Jesus is, a, is alive, people. Let's go. Let's go do this. Let's go tell the world. But they're not sure. So why does Jesus show up to quell that doubt? He shows them the nails. He shows them his side. But unfortunately, the part we know most about this story 
is because Thomas wasn't there to see it. Look down in 24. Verse 24 of John chapter 20. It says, Now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my fingers, his finger, excuse me, my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe it. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Through the, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands, reach out, put your, put it, put your hand in my side, stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Thomas missed it. He missed the first time. Jesus comes back. Why does Jesus come back? Literally because Thomas missed it. The rest of the guys don't need to see his hands again. They already got to see that once. They don't need to see his side again because they already saw that once. He knows Thomas is doubting. And Jesus shows up. And what does he do? Does he treat him like my Sunday school teacher said to me? No. Because here's my hands. Here, come here. Takes his finger. Feel that. Here, give me your hand. Feel this. Stop doubting. Believe. It's me. And let's not, let's just not gloss over the fact that somebody coming back to life is a hard thing to believe in. Because other than Jesus, nobody else pulled it off. So we, uh, we can understand Thomas's doubt. But Jesus comes to let him know that it's okay that you doubt. It's okay that you have questions. It's okay that you're skeptical, but I'm real. I'm the way, I'm the truth, I'm the life. I'm here. Thomas, stop doubting. commentator said that Jesus halted Thomas on the road to a despairing unbelief and offered him the positive evidence he could build an enduring faith on. God and Jesus welcome your skepticism, your doubts, and your questions. You may be there. You may have questions, you may have doubts, you may have skepticism. But here's one thing I want us to be very clear about as well, is that Jesus doesn't want you to stay there. God doesn't want you to stay there. He wants you to take next steps on the path of faith. Are you going to get a miracle to, to fix your doubt? I don't know. But I do know that God is faithful. And that God... And Jesus went through some very long processes at times with some of these people that we just read about. And I know he's going to be faithful to you. I know he hears your questions. I know he hears your doubts. Sometimes we just need to take another step. So today, if you are wrestling with anything along these lines, I would love to talk to you after service. 
or later on in the week, whatever that means. I'd love to just have a conversation with you. I don't know that I'm going to have all the answers. But I do know that I believe in and I serve a God big enough who does. And they may not all fit together perfectly in our minds, but we have a God who loves us, who gave up his son for us. He's not going to just abandon you. He didn't abandon Israel. He's not going to abandon you just because you have questions. Maybe today you are good to go in that regard. Then I hope today at minimum you heard that when your friend, your coworker, your family member has questions or doubts, maybe you should just lean into them and go, well, why do you think that? Let's talk about that. How do we, maybe let's open up the Bible and see what God's word has to say about what you're thinking on that topic. Some of us having to understand what it feels like is so that we can actually empathize with and maybe talk and help those around us. So right now, I just want to pray for us, and then uh, we're going to stand and worship if you need to talk. I would love to talk to you. I'll be back there. I'll be back outside. You can find one of our leaders or staff, and um, just would love to have a conversation with whatever questions that you may, um, you may have. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for being faithful. God, we thank you for your patience. We thank you for your love. We thank you that in the midst of people asking questions, you're open to them. God, many of us over the years have had to wrestle and figure things out. We are thankful that you have walked alongside of us in those processes and in those moments of extreme doubt, extreme skepticism, and when we just didn't know. So God, hear us say thank you for walking alongside us in those moments. God, some of us are still in those moments. Would you help us as a church? Would you help us as individuals? Would you help us as a body to come around those we know who are struggling, who are wrestling with some of these questions, some of these doubts, and would you help us just be a catalyst in their lives for next steps? Whatever that means, even if it's just to open up and say, these are the, these are the questions I have, these are the doubts that I have. God, would you lead us into having the courage and the, to, to take those steps with them? God, give us the wisdom and the discernment on how to answer those things in those moments. And God, we just thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the grace that he showed, the love that he showed. We thank you for his ministry, his, uh, his mission, his obedience, his death, and that you brought him back to life. God, help us to have your heart and have your eyes this week as we engage the world around us. We just pray all of these things 